People have questions all the time, right? And people ask questions for different reasons, so many different reasons. Sometimes people ask questions because they genuinely care. Sometimes people ask questions because they want to connect with one another. And other times we ask questions because we want to help. But if we don't know how to help, then we need to ask questions so we can know how to help. But sometimes we ask questions just because we're, we're nosy. Sometimes we ask questions because we're rebellious. Sassy, right? Knowing the question is wrong or maybe even uncomfortable. But do it anyway for maybe shock effect or just to be a rebel. To go against the grain, to see someone squirm. Or like to see just how they'll react. It's kind of odd. If you do that, there's something wrong. (laughs) Some people ask questions because, well, bottom line is, You're just very opinionated. And you're asking questions so that you can express your own opinion. Not really really caring whether the other person answers or what they answer. But you just want to give your own opinion. But some are absolutely clueless. They're asking an inappropriate question. You know, those questions to where everyone else is cringing but you. It's like, why did they ask that question? That's interesting. Some people ask leading questions. Meant to answer how the asker wants the askee to answer. Or when asked a question that you know they know the answer to, you answer with a question that will remind them of the answer they already know. Or to make it plain that they already know the answer. And some other possible reasons for some questions. Do you know that you can ask questions to impose revenge on someone else? In other words, to make someone feel like they made you feel. You can ask questions because you're jealous or assert power, control, superiority. Listen, all of these things, I know that we've experienced in some way, shape, or form in our lives. Or perhaps we ourselves are guilty of at some point. What we'll see, and this is what we need to pay attention to as we go through Scripture. I've often said, don't remove yourself from what we're studying because oftentimes we need to realize perhaps that may be us. That may be the very thing that we need to repent of. After all, God is doing a sanctifying work in our lives, refining us but, and, and shaping us and molding us in to reflect His character. But it takes a yielding. It takes a submission. It takes humility. We'll see some of this as we go through these verses, but I want to ask you to think about why Jesus asked questions as well. What was his motive? 
How did he ask questions? Was it not to engage with people, to build relationships, to build trust, to build their faith, and to make people think and own their own conclusions? You see, his motives and his intentions were oftentimes much different than the motives motives and intentions of the people. And Jesus often did this by asking questions when asked a question. Jesus also asked questions to reveal the reason for asking questions, the reality of people's positions, the truth of their intentions, and their perspectives. But one thing we do know is that even though some people who asked Jesus questions did not ask with good intentions, he answered in a perfect way, giving us an understanding of what truth is. That's our benefit as we go through the scriptures. This morning we will know more about the resurrection and the most important commandment of all. That is what he was asked He was asked about the resurrection, and he was asked about the greatest commandment of all. So the next time you're asked a question, you need to, in that that instant, ask God for discernment. And then ask for the words to respond with, in order to answer with wisdom and in a way that, that brings glory to God. Whether perhaps in the moment it's exposing the intentions of the person asking, And then leading that conversation in a way that gets back to the Lord and the soundness of Scripture. Or clarifying what is being asked to give an accurate answer. You see, we need to have confidence in the Word of God in order to do things like this. Just standing in the truth. To engage. To build. Our faith and our hearers' faith, to build trust, to help, encourage, to connect with others. D.L. Moody said this, quote, The grand question of life is, is my name written in heaven? Close quote. That is really the question that we ought to be able to answer in the affirmative. I would pray that each and every one of us desire that our name is written in the Lamb's book of life. This morning we'll see how Jesus' answer is a senseless question and what we learn from it and what the greatest commandment is and how it can lead us to understanding salvation. Because the purpose of understanding Scripture is knowing the gospel and expressing our faith in Jesus Christ. Demonstrating to Him how much we love Him. Knowing how much He loved us first. So let's start off with this senseless question. Let's begin from the top in verse 18. It says, And Sadducees came to him who say that there is no resurrection. And they asked him a question, saying, Teacher, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies and leaves a wife but leaves no child, the man must take the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. There were seven brothers. The first took a wife, and when he died, left no offspring. And the second took her and died, leaving no offspring. And the third likewise, and the seven left no offspring. Last of all, the woman also died. In the resurrection, when they rise again, whose wife will she be? For the seven had her as wife. A little background as far as the Sadducees are concerned. They, um, 
they were very religious, but they were also very political. They were a group of Jewish men who held a great deal of power among the Jews of the day. Uh, as far as the Sanhedrin is concerned, they made up a majority of the seats, which the Sanhedrin is the, uh, the, the official overseen group of people who judged matters, upheld the law, and um, it was composed of 70 men. So they composed the majority of the Sanhedrin, the ruling council. They uh, worked hard to keep the peace between Rome and Jews. They were involved in making sure that everything was, was fine. Often agreeing, and this is what this, this demanded, often agreeing with decisions of Rome and leaning more towards politics than religion because it benefited them. The Sadducees believed in the self-sufficiency of man and depended less on God's involvement in everyday life. And this is what's interesting. They asked this question but didn't believe in the resurrection. They did not believe in the resurrection of the dead. So why were they asking this question if they didn't believe in the resurrection of the dead? They didn't believe in eternal life, therefore denying the penalty or glory that comes after death. They believe that the soul simply perishes, ceases to exist. They did not believe in angels or demons. Therefore, not believing in the spiritual world. So why would a group like this ask a question like they did? You know, Acts 23.8 says, For the Sadducees say that there is no resurrection nor angel, nor spirit, but the Pharisees acknowledge them all. This is when the Apostle Paul, by the way, in Acts chapter 23, uh, he started this uh, big old discussion. In fact, it was a, an argument, and uh, it meant to distract them from, from the Apostle Paul, but the Lord used that. But he made a point. It was, it was truthful. It's interesting also that the Sadducees are described in historical records as being rude, arrogant, power-hungry, and quick to dispute with those who disagreed with them. What was true then is true today. There are many people who are in the same place. Rude, arrogant, power-hungry, quick to dispute with those who don't agree with them. If they don't like that, canceled, right? And here they are. Here's this beautiful group of men confronting Jesus with this senseless question. The chief priests, scribes, elders, Herodians, lawyers, and Pharisees had asked Jesus questions. And then here are the Sadducees asking another question about levirate marriage. Referring to the law of Moses that established the practice of making sure that a man who dies childless, that his widow would take his brother in marriage, and therefore his heritage could continue, his name could continue through his brother. Uh, 
And I want to show you this. In Deuteronomy chapter 25, verses 5 and 6. It says, If brothers dwell together and one of them dies and has no son, the wife of the dead man shall not be married outside, uh, outside the family to a stranger. Her husband's brother shall go into her and take her as his wife and perform the duty of a husband's brother to her. And the first son whom she bears shall succeed to the name of his dead brother, that his name may not be blotted, blotted out of Israel. And so that's what they were referring to. Remember, uh, they worked hard to preserve the scriptures, the law of Moses, the Pentateuch. So they knew this. So I asked them, they asked them this question. You see, these men were very knowledgeable of the law, very knowledgeable of the first five books of the Old Testament. As I've said, even working to preserve them. And yet they were, even though they were very religious, even though they were very knowledgeable, they were very worldly as well. Can you be both? Well, we have an example before us. We know that the Apostle Paul wrote to Timothy and warned him about people like this. Worldly, educated, sophisticated, wealthy, and influential Knowing the scriptures inside and out. They were men always ready to cooperate with the Romans because this would secure their positions of privilege in the world that they lived in. James 4.4 says, You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Second Timothy three five, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power, avoid such people. D.L. Moody said, quote, "If I walk with the world, I can't walk with God." Close quote. That statement of D.L. Moody is in line with Scripture. There came a point where we have it recorded in Scripture, how it is that some of the disciples of Jesus Christ at some point had to make a decision. Either just go with the flow and, and just do whatever's necessary to preserve life. Obey the command of Rome and no longer teach in the name of Jesus Christ and you'll be fine. You will preserve your life. Just shut up. Quit turning people away from worshiping man. Worshiping the one that we say is your God. Government. The one that will take care of you. And you'll be, you'll be fine. You'll be fine. James, if you do this, you'll be fine. Stephen, if you do this, you'll be fine. Peter, James, if you just stop, you'll be fine. Well, they knew that friendship with the world was enmity with God. They did not desire to be a friend of the world because they knew at that point it would make them an enemy of God. 
They were once an enemy of God. And for them, no more. They wouldn't do that. You see, they knew that at some point, they realized the love of God. How it was that God demonstrated that love? And he sent his son to die on the cross and pay for all of their sins. So that they would enjoy and know forgiveness of their sins by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Therefore, they, they belonged to Jesus. They didn't belong to anyone else. They had one master, one Lord. But I remind you of what, Tim, what, what Paul wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy 3.5, having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. Avoid such people. That's what Jesus was telling them. Oh, outwardly, you look very godly. And yet you deny the power within. Because these men were walking with the world, they asked a question to mock Jesus. They were able to do that. Having no desire to understand and know the answer that he is about to give. Well, the answer that Jesus gives serves us today. That's why I'm telling you, pay attention because we're like sometimes those people on the sidelines. I could just imagine in this moment how it was that these Sadducees came to Jesus, asked him this question, and his disciples and everyone that was surrounding him just stood. Yeah, I, I, want, I want to know the answer to this. I'm unsure. I don't know. The answer is that Jesus gives the very word of God. Well, it serves us today. And I'm sure it served the hearers then. And those who throughout the years have read these very verses, this, this moment in history, this time when Jesus answered the Sadducees, Do you ever ask senseless questions? Questions you already know the answers to? You know, we, we expect that of kids, right? Oh, you know the answer to that question. You know the answer. The answer is no, right? <laughs> Where it's plain, you know what's required of you. You know what's expected of you. Why are you asking that question? I think we, we can all be guilty of that. That's, that's one of the points that I'd like to bring across. Just let's humble ourselves before the Lord. We, we ask these questions. We already know the answers to. Senseless questions that have these ulterior motives, manipulative motives, sometimes amongst each other or with jealousy, we're self-centered. There's some pride and ultimately, what happens is, quite frankly, the stupidity of oneself is revealed in our attempt to mock God. That's really what happens. At this, person, the, at this point, the, the person asking such questions cannot claim ignorance and will ultimately be held accountable by God 
as is the case with these men with Jesus. See, they're going to hear his answer. He doesn't wait to dispute or say anything further. He simply lays down a statement of truth and then walks away. He's on to the next one. Remember that the next time you ask a question you know the answer to? Well, it's been answered. Now you're held accountable because you know. A senseless question, but here it is, a scriptural answer. Because Jesus said to them in verse 24, Is this not the reason you are wrong? Because you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God. For when they rise from the dead, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. And as for the dead being raised, have you not read in the book of Moses, in the passage about the bush, how God spoke to him, saying, I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob? He is not God of the dead, but of the living. You are quite wrong. Let me ask you this, just real quick. You've read in the same scripture, in the same section, right? What's after that? Does he continue to engage them? No? Statement of truth. That's it. The Sadducees believed that if, and this is what they were stating here, if there was some sort of resurrection then it's just more of this life lived forever, if there is. A sort of modified, weird kind of reincarnation. More like a seemingly eternal respawning of life. If you're a gamer, you know what I'm talking about. Right? Respawning? How many lives do you have? I always bug my boys, because I know that today's games, it's not about the high, high score. You guys grow, anyone grow up in the 80s? Arcades, you remember quarters in the games and yeah. Well, there's always high score, right? Well, what'd you get? Well, I got this score. Well, I got that score. You know. Now it's not. A, I asked like my son Christopher. I'll ask him just to bug him. Hey, what's your high score on that, Dad? It's not about a high score. It just. <laughs> it's a story. You know. You just go on and on. I'm like, okay. I have no use for something like that, <laughs> you know. I want to know, hey, listen, my, my com- competitive spirit, <laughs> am I beating you or am I not, right? <laughs> and I need a score for that. Well, their question revealed two things, and this is what Jesus stated here. One, they did not know the Scriptures. Number two, they did not know the power of God. He stated that. Verse 24, is this not the reason you're wrong? Because you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God? He said it right from the beginning. But wait a minute, I thought they knew the scriptures well. I thought they worked hard to preserve the scriptures. How can Jesus make this claim truthfully? You remember Paul. He was also known as Saul of Tarsus. Oh, he, he grew up under the tutelage of Gamaliel, the most respected teacher, rabbi of the day. Do you not think that he knew the scripture as well? 
Well, I'm thinking better than these gentlemen right here. And yet, he persecuted Christians, the people of the way, even jailing them and encouraging them to be put to death. Stephen being the one that those who were stoning Stephen had placed their, their coats down before him. And he approved of his death. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, in verse 9, or verse 1, I'm sorry. We're going to read through this. Because this is, this is something that we ought to take heed of and understand. This is what we ought to know. And be discerning with as far as the truth of God's word. Second Timothy chapter 3 verse 1 says, But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, Treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Avoid such people, for among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sins and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. Just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also opposed the truth. Men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith. But they will not get very far, for their folly will be plain to all, as was that of those two men. These types of people look like they are godly, but remain unchanged within. Denying the power there's, there's no power. How do I know that? How do we know that? Well, they continue to struggle with the same sins and do so consistently. Not, I'm not referring to stumbling. I'm not referring to that. If anyone here does not contend with sin, please let me know. I want to know how... It is that you're doing that. That's not what I'm referring to. What I'm referring to is a continual, conscious, habitual giving of oneself to sin. Over and over. And you know it's sin and you just keep going at it. That's no struggle, by the way. That, that's, that's not a struggle. Because you surrender to the flesh. If you, if you walk in the Spirit, you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Is that not truth that's found in Scripture? In this case, there's no evidence that the Holy Spirit indwells them. No evidence that He has transformed them. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a, a new creation. A whole new creation. 
He says, the old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Romans chapter 6, verses 1 and 2 and 11 says, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? What does the Apostle Paul say? By no means. Right? How can we who died to sin still live in it? So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. You're no longer slaves to sin. In James chapter 2, verse 14, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? And here's an example of this. Verse 15 says, If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So he even gives an example. Hey, someone tells, tells you, hey, I'm hungry. And you have the means to, hey, buy them a burger or just invite them over and, and enjoy some, uh, something to eat, you know, or give them groceries for a week. Or if they tell you they're cold in wintertime and you have the means to keep them warm, here, you know what, let's go. I, I, have, I have some extra clothes here. Or let's go to the store. Let's, let's buy you a, a jacket or you know, whatever it is, and you don't do it, what good is it, right? In the same way, if you say you have faith and lack works to show, to demonstrate that you have faith, what good is that? And he goes on the rest of this chapter explaining this. It's really very simple. And this is, what Jesus, this is what Jesus is pointing out with these Sadducees. Oh, you look good on the outside, but you deny the power. You do not have it. You do not know it. And so Jesus tells them, he makes a truth statement as to why they are wrong. They, they don't understand the scriptures. They know intellectually. And they do not know the Holy Spirit who transforms the believer. In fact, they lack the fruit of the Spirit according to Galatians 5, and 23. But rather exhibit the list that we read in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1-9. through 9. This is a list that really serves to indict and convict those who remain in sin, the ungodly. First of all, Jesus mentions what it's going to be like in heaven. For when they rise from the dead, in verse 25, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. You do not enter married. You know, no matter how long you've been married here on earth, You will not enter heaven married. You will not. And in heaven, you will not get married. There will be no marrying. Now, we're not going to be losing out on anything. It's beyond our imagination, beyond our comprehension. We will not be dissatisfied. We will not be disillusioned. 
we will be in the presence of glory, in the presence of God for all, for all eternity. Second, hey, listen, even the Old Testament, he refers to Exodus. Jesus refers back to, you know, Exodus, the second book of the Old Testament. Yeah. Since you believe only in the first five books of the Old Testament, well, even that contains evidence relating to God being the God of the living and not of the dead. How can that be? And, and he made that statement that's in the present tense. God is the God of the living. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Paying attention, these are the things that the Sadducees knew and yet did not pay attention to. Well, if there's no resurrection, then we are of all people most to be pitied. As the Apostle Paul wrote to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 12 through 19, Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But, but if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is vain and your faith is in vain. We are uh, even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. This is why it's important. Even when people ask senseless questions, right? And this is why I said pay attention to how Jesus responds to this question or are mistaken about something. Point them back to Scripture. Not your own opinion about Scripture. Your own interpretation about Scripture. The Bible is very well capable. God is very well capable of interpreting His own word, and He does. The best interpretation of the Bible is... Okay. That was weak. (laughs) The best interpretation of the Bible is the The Bible, right? Let the scriptures speak for themselves. In glory, in heaven, things will be different, but much better, beyond our imagination. A senseless question, a scriptural answer, and the most important commandment. And one of the scribes, verse 28, came up and heard them disputing with one another, and seeing that he answered them well, asked him, which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus answered, the most important, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And the scribe said to him, you are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one and there is no one besides him. And to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding and with all the strength and to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared ask him any more questions. 
It's interesting to think that there is a most important commandment, isn't it? Because it should be like all scripture should be so important to us, all the different commandments as believers, right? But for him to say this, because he answered, we should pay special attention to this. This was one last question that was asked of Jesus. Which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus didn't say in that very moment, they're all important. They are. But he said, this is the most important one of all. And he referred them actually back to Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 and 5. The Shema, which means here. Which says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your might. And these, these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. The Shema. It's a de- declaration of love to God, of devotion, consecration, commitment, complete yielding to God, to live for His glory alone. If you think about it, even though the law was not given yet, God did require obedience in the garden, didn't he? He gave Adam and Eve instructions before the law was even given to Moses. And what did he expect? Obedience. You see, God's word always forces us, forces a response, either reception or rejection. Reception or rejection. There's no middle ground. Jesus said in John 14, 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments, right? First John chapter 2, verses 4 and 5 says, whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar. And the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. The world says that we must learn how to love ourselves But God says, learn to love me and you will know how much I love you and you will be able to love others just as I have loved you. Obedience is preferred over sacrifice because it proves our love. And in so doing with God, we will know how to love others as he does love us. We in that, by knowing his love, Drawing closer to him, we'll know how it is that we can love others. Well, the scribe agreed with Jesus, and yet because he had not believed in Jesus, Jesus said, well, you're close. You're close, but not there yet. Right. And with that... He is eternally lost without faith in Jesus Christ. Again, simple responses to these questions. Nothing difficult to understand, is it? John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. And no no man comes to the Father except through me. In Acts 4.12, And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. There's there's salvation through no one else. Nothing else. 
Not our works, not any other person, nothing at all. Learn to love God by first receiving his love, knowing his salvation, and then as you grow in his grace, you will know how to love others. A senseless question, a scriptural answer, and the most important commandment of all. There are people who mockingly ask God questions that are senseless, people who have no intention of arriving at the truth. There are people who know facts about the Bible and the subjects within it and can even teach it and yet do not intimately and salvifically know the author, know the creator of the universe and his love and grace that he has offered through Jesus Christ. There are still other people who follow the word closely and yet have not learned what it means to follow Jesus and lack a desire for him above all else. Not being preeminent. Not being the purpose of life. The hope of eternity. I pray for each and every one of us that we would Pay attention to our questions that we would, with knowledge, allow it to become wisdom that when rightly applied, that knowledge will serve to glorify the Lord. And that as we do that, as Jesus said, if if you desire to be my disciples, deny yourself, pick up your cross and follow me. That with that Knowledge, that understanding, we become better disciples of Jesus Christ and walk obediently in the Spirit and according to His Word. Again, D.L. Moody, and I'll close with this his quote The grand question of life is, Is my name written in heaven? Is yours? And what are you going to do about it? Father, we thank you, Lord, for the love that you first demonstrated to us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I do ask, Lord, that if there is anyone here who has not completely yielded, surrendered their lives to Christ, that today would be the day of salvation. Your word tells us that if we confess with our mouths that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, we shall be saved. Lord, salvation has been taken care of. The payment for our sins has been completely fulfilled by Jesus on the cross. And so, Lord, I ask that you would stir the hearts of anyone here who has not completely surrendered to you. Lord, may today be that that day, that this be the moment, Lord, to where... They know the forgiveness of their sins, the hope of heaven, knowing that you love them that much and have already expressed it. And you are with us this very moment. And I pray for your church, Lord, that we would be strong in your word, Lord. We would stand in the truth of scripture. We would know it. And Lord, confidently walk in it. 
led and guided by your spirit, giving us understanding. May we serve to glorify you with our very lives. In Jesus' name we pray.